Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Is he good? Okay, we can have a seat. And as you do so, we're going to dismiss the children, the children's church. We're going to dismiss the children, the children's church, and children's choir. Or just children's church, I'm sorry. So children, you are dismissed, and we pray God's blessing on you. And uh, yeah, you know, those are the kind of things that pastors dream about, you know. Pastors have dreams, um, usually Saturday night, about coming to church and you forgot you were preaching or nobody showed up but there's two people sitting here, things like that, and, uh, or, or you get up and your microphone's dragging behind you on the stage there, you know, <laughs> and nobody can hear you. Actually, I did have an interesting dream last night. This is true, I did. Um, I told Teresa this morning, and I, I think, where do these dreams come from? You know, what, what is the connection? I mean, I'm... Uh, how you connect these things, but um, it was at our house, and Rachel's baby was born at our house, and uh, it was a little miniature Sam. Are you going to have a boy? Okay. It was like this little miniature Sam, and the interesting thing is, Gary and Rachel weren't there, (laughs) and all of a sudden, this baby was there, and I must have been hatched or something. I don't know, and so the baby was there, and I had this baby, little, little miniature Sam, and Therese was on the phone with Susie Bates. And is Susie here or is she with the kids? Okay, I can say, well, Susie's so efficient, you know, that Susie says, oh, I'll call, I'll start getting the call chain going so we can, people know that he's been born. I said, wait a minute, I haven't told Gary and Rachel yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I called Gary. I'm not making this up. Really, this just really happened in my head. So I called Gary and I said, Gary, your baby's born. He's at our house. You, you need to come over. And so... So they were going to come over. I thought in the meantime, about eight or ten of you showed up at our house. Uh, Robbie and Steve were there. And um, who else was there? Oh, uh, Jeff and Connie Adams, you were there. There were about eight or ten of you. And I thought, oh, no, now Carrie and Race are going to come over and to see their baby for the first time. And I already got all these people here. And, <clears throat> and I woke up. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now, where did that dream come from? Uh, maybe, maybe because we were having child dedication today. I don't know. Actually, with what I went to bed on my mind last night, uh, it should have been a different type of dream because I really went to bed um, with thoughts of uh, the book of Revelation. 
And uh, the idea of judgment and uh, the, the seriousness of rejecting Christ, that's what I was thinking about because of our passage this morning. So I had a pleasant dream instead. It was kind of a fun one. But uh, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. And this is what I was, you know, usually when, when you go to bed at night, when you're going to be preaching the next day, um, no matter how much you've studied or worked on a sermon and so forth, uh, it's on your mind. And uh, this, this passage, uh, as we continue our study from, instantly Gary's over helping set up our uh, baseball thing right now, that's why he's not here. So if the baby is born, <laughs> we're going to have to, but uh, I just want to remind you, you're all invited today. You don't have to play baseball to come today. You can come and just enjoy the picnic, a hot dog. It's right over just kind of behind uh, Fred Myers, a little bit south of it. If you need instructions, uh, we'll, we can give them to you back here. Um, but we'd love to have you come and join us, and they're over there setting up right now. And First uh, Peter, and we're going to continue where uh, Pastor Gary last week uh, did uh, preach on the first 11 verses, and there's a real connection here as we begin verse 12. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word and look into your word, Lord, we want to pray that uh, we hear your words, and we pray, God, our heart would be open to your word. That's a very uh, important and very serious passage, as all scripture is. And uh, Lord, we, we ask that you will guide us as we work through this passage today. And again, may your words be heard. Thank you for each person's come today. There's so many places they could be today, but they've chosen to come and to uh, be a part of the church family, to worship, to fellowship, and encourage one another. And I just thank you for that today. In Christ's name, amen. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. You notice that Peter begins this by, with, dear friends. Dear friends, so it's sort of a, um, we're actually going to, we're going to wrap up a, a very important topic from the last, actually, several weeks, really since chapter 2 that we've been studying early in the summer of 1 Peter. We're going to kind of wrap this topic up for the most part today, and that is this idea of suffering and persecution. And so he says, dear friends, now these apostles, Peter, James, Paul, you know, these apostles are, are pastors as well. And we're going to see that especially next week as we continue this. And, and he addresses uh, pastors and shepherds. And as a pastor to these people who he's writing to, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, as, as we, like I say, we're going to wrap up this important topic. And, and I don't want to, you know, might say, well, we've been talking about this for quite a, you know, several weeks now. This idea of suffering and persecution. But that's the passage. You know, that's where we're at. And we're going through this book, a section about a half a chapter at a time. He says, don't be surprised. You know, it is kind of interesting. At the time Peter writes this, the time Peter writes this, it's before the intense persecutions of Nero, in which, because we believe from church history, that both Peter and Paul were executed under the reign of Nero. And so obviously Peter's still alive, and this is his first epistle, so this is before that time. As far as we know, this is not a time of intensive bloodshed and torture and so on that, that kind of comes in waves. You know, in the early Christian church, 
the actual physical persecution kind of came and went in waves. It wasn't just a straight line continual. In fact, we know there's some letters from uh, Pliny to Trajan. Uh, these are Roman uh, emperor and Roman governor who, who later on, in the, later on in, at, after the New Testament time, um, where he writes and says, um, I mean, after the close of the New Testament, he writes and says, what do I do with these Christians? You know, are they, they're, people tell me they're breaking the law. Am I supposed to persecute them or what? And basically the emperor says, uh, if a complaint is lodged against them, yes, because they are seditious, because they do not worship the emperor. Christians were always liable to um, accusations because they were breaking the law because they did not worship the Roman emperor. The only religion was, that was exempt was Judaism from worshiping the emperor. You could worship anything. Romans didn't care who you worshiped. They did not care what or who you worshiped. There's very syncretism uh, was, the, was the name of the game, as long as you included the emperor. And uh, later on, as Christianity became more and more separated from Judaism, it became obvious that they didn't worship the emperor either, and so they were always liable to persecution. And uh, so someone's a competitor, and you're, you know, you got a coffee shop over here, and a Christian's got a coffee shop here. You say, hey, these guys are, these guys are um, breaking the law. They don't worship the emperor, so they're out of business. These are the kind of things that happen. But during this time, we're not exactly sure what the persecutions were, but they were real. And they may have been localized, and they could have been physical. It could have been economical. It could have been all sorts of different things. And, 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 and Peter says, listen, friends. Do not be surprised. And the word is painful. The idea that's actually, it's actually the word fiery trial. So these are serious. These are not light. He says, don't be surprised at these painful trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now we don't, we don't, I don't personally believe it's the physical, literal sufferings of Christ, but it's in like way as Christ was persecuted you too are being persecuted. Christ spoke the truth. He spoke, he spoke the truth of God and he was persecuted for it. And he gave his life, of course, for our, for our salvation. But he says, you are suffering in like manner. You know, this, this does raise the question. Um, you may not be going through physical torment or persecution. Your life is not threatened today by somebody. My life is not threatened as far as I know today by somebody. There are different forms of persecution, and we've talked about this, and I've had some conversations with some of you in, in the hallways in Narthex and so on, because it is an interesting topic. Are we to seek persecution? I don't believe so. And yet the Bible says all those who desire to live a godly life will suffer for it. And that is, you know, it's kind of a relative thing in the sense that your suffering might be different than my suffering. Your suffering, your suffering might be in your place of employment. I don't, I don't suffer for standing up for God in my place of employment, obviously. You might. It might cost you promotions. It might cost you ridicule. It might cost you friendships. It could cost you money. It may cost you in your family. Um, there are all sorts of ways that, that, that we could suffer persecution, you know, some of you may be going through physical um, uh, difficulties right now. Our bulletin, every week we have things to pray about. I'll never forget, I started out in the ministry in 1978 when I went back to Minneapolis to serve as uh, the Christian education pastor at Bethesda Church in Minneapolis. Within a few months, probably that winter, so it would have been 1979, I just, one of these very vivid memories that I have, and, you know, there's certain things in my, in my ministry and my years of, of pastoring that really stand out. One I'll just never forget, because it was really early in my ministry. 
Um, Pastor Roger Anderson was on vacation, so I was covering for him his hospital calls. I went to visit the lady in the hospital who was just the sweetest, kindest Christian woman. It's, it's the kind of woman that, that you would want in your life as a grandma or a mother or an aunt. She was just a kind, and I, could, I, I wouldn't do it to embarrass anybody, but there are some of you here today I could connect with and say, if, if you, you're just like this person. It's the sweetest, kindest person of Christian testimony. I went to visit her in the hospital, and she had, it was cancer. It was early on in the diagnosis. The first thing she said to me when I came in there was Pastor Jim. She said, um, and I was new, I was, you know, I was a Christian associate pastor, and this was one of my first hospital calls. And she said, I don't know what I did that God is doing this to me. And I, and I you know, and I, and I tried to help her understand from my perspective, I don't think that's correct. Um, but it's sort of a natural sometimes thing, isn't it? It's sometimes a natural, why am I doing, why, why is God doing this to me? What did I do wrong? And I, listen, I think if we're honest, many of us have wor- had to work through that and difficulties in our life. What have I done? And you know, that's, that's, part of, that's part of the earliest story of the Bible, isn't it? The book of Job. Most Bible scholars believe that the book of Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible, written during the time of the patriarchs, so it predates Moses' writings. And what's the theme of the book of, book of Job? The theme of the book of Job is, 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 a, is a man who, who nobody has any idea what's going on in the heavenlies with Satan coming and asking if he could test Job and God giving him permission. In fact, God throwing down the gauntlet and said, if you consider my servant Job. They have no idea what's going on. But when he goes through that, what do his friends continually, continually bring against Job? Job, God doesn't do this for nothing. You have, there is unconfessed sin in your life. If you will only confess it, God will take this away. And throughout that story, Job, Job does not maintain innocence in the sense that he's sinless. He gets pretty strong in his reaction to God, but he does maintain his integrity that God is not doing this because of a sin in my life. And so this is an old story that, 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 that we can relate to. And I understand why she said that was kind of a natural, but I, want, I just want to tell you, friends, I think we must be very careful. We must be very careful of ever being the one to say, well, listen, I know why this is happening to you because of what you're doing. You don't know that. And I don't know that. And when we suffer, when we're persecuted, or when we suffer physically or other things in our life or relationship, that very difficult things in life, don't assume it's because you are guilty of a particular sin. We are all sinners. Peter says, don't be surprised when this comes upon you because these trials that come upon you, whether they're physical or social or financial or they're persecution, when they come upon you, this is not strange but rejoice. And of course, that's the difficult. It's easy for me to snap here and read that, isn't it, and say that. But if I were going through what maybe some of you or what some of our brothers and sisters are going through today in the world, um, rejoice. Rejoice. It doesn't necessarily mean be happy, but to have joy, to rejoice. Why? You rejoice, he says, because you are participating in the life of Christ. So you may be overjoyed. Now look at verse 13. This is the key. This is the key. See, the focus is not on us. That's my natural tendency. I'll be, I'll be honest. Everything about my life is, my natural tendency is me. To focus on me and what's good for me. That's my natural human tendency. 
But he says, listen, the reason you are overjoyed is because in verse 13 at the end, his glory is revealed. God gets the glory. All things work together for good to those who love God. For, first of all, for God's good. Because he is God. He gets the glory. And he says, his glory is revealed. And then verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I think you can relate to that. Probably many here have been insulted. Maybe, maybe you know, it may be a very quiet, you know, kind of, and again, sometimes this happens in your own family, but those closest to you, um, that because of your Christian faith, and it's, and it's maybe a, a hands-off, a standoffish, a silence can be as insulting as anything. And, and you know what he's talking about here. But, but Peter says, listen, if you are insulted, if you, if you suffer, if you are insulted, if you suffer, verse 15, he says, and as he goes on, well, first of all, verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Verse 15, if you do suffer, it should not be as a murderer, a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. So obviously what he's saying here, now listen, you may suffer and I may suffer because of the natural consequences of sinful behavior. If I am a murderer or a thief and I get caught and suffer, I don't, you can't, Peter says, wait a minute, don't stand back and say, well, I'm suffering for the name of Christ because I got caught stealing. No, he says, if you're going to suffer, make sure it's not for these things. Because if you choose to do those things, the, 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 the epistles and the apostles through the epistles tell us that you, you do fear the emperor, you do fear the authorities because they are there to execute God's justice and judgment. So if I, if I, if I steal somebody from somebody, if I break in and steal, if I cheat and I suffer, don't stand back and say, well, I don't know why God's doing this to me. I, I can tell you why God's doing this to me because I chose to steal. See? He says, don't let it be for that. But look at the last one. The last one's kind of interesting. Murder, that one I get, you know? Thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Some of the translations use the word busybody. Now that one, we can, maybe you and I can relate to a little bit more than the others. Maybe you haven't murdered anybody. Maybe you don't tend to steal. You know, uh, maybe you don't, aren't violent. But do you meddle? Do you get into things that you have no business being into? Do you gossip? Or do you have a reputation for being a person who, who stirs up controversy, who stirs up trouble? If you do, and you're persecuted for that, don't stand back and say, I don't know why God's doing this to me. It's pretty clear. And it's interesting that Peter includes that in this list. And I think that's one that maybe all of us can relate to a little bit more, the temptation that we have to do this. Don't do this. But verse 16, however, if you suffer for being a Christian, you know what's kind of interesting? This is one of the very few uses of the word Christian in the New Testament. The other two are in the book of Acts. Um, this is a name that apparently was given by others for the Christians. And it, it means, remember Pastor Schultz used to say it's called Christ ones. That's what it means. And it was really given by outsiders to the believers. And it stuck. And this is one of the very few um, places you'll find this in the New Testament, the name by which we call it. And it's a good name. And it's a proper name. We are Christ ones, ones who belong to Christ. 
If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God, verse 16, that you bear his name. You know, uh, in this particular culture, in this uh, Middle East culture, as part of the Eastern world, shame is a very important thing. Uh, um, shame, shame upon your name, shame upon your family, was very important. It was a very strong uh, sense of persecution. It was very real. And this is one of the things, so we think about what are these people going through at this time? Uh, even if some may not be giving their lives or being physically, they are being shamed in their community. They were so different. I mean, think of this world that they live in, the first century, of, of this, this pagan world, this Gentile world with this multiplicity of gods and idols and worship and some very disgusting uh, practices. And then you have Judaism, this strong, monotheistic, uh, very um, uh, uh, um, ethical religion uh, in, these, in these communities as well. And these Christians, they stood apart. They were so different because they worshipped a god who had been killed and humiliated, the worst form of possible death in the Roman Greek world on the cross of Calvary. And they worshipped that God. It, just, it was absolutely against every possible thing you could imagine in the Greco-Roman world. And they were shamed. They were insulted. They were, they were put down. They were ridiculed. They were persecuted because they actually believed that that person that they worshipped as God, who was just a man who lived on earth that people saw and knew, actually rose from the dead and is seated in heaven, and he is their Lord today. It was so ridiculous to the Greco-Roman mind that these people were shamed. And Peter says, listen, praise God that you bear that name, Christ one. Give God praise. If you are shamed, if you are ridiculed, if you are isolated, if you are, the word we use today, marginalized, if, if you are persecuted, if it costs you money, if it costs you a promotion, if it costs you friends, you're not looking for that, but if it does, rejoice, because you bear the name of Christ. Now, verse 17 is a very interesting verse. Peter goes on, this is what I was thinking last night when I went to bed, you know, this idea of judgment. For it is time... Now look at this. For judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, the family of God, what will be the outcome? What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he quotes from Proverbs. It is, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. Now, what is meant here where, where Peter says it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God? Now, I know that the NIV uses the word family here, but it really is the word house, household. And, and the important thing about that, I think, it, I think it, it, connects, it connects back to chapter 2. And I believe Gary pre preached on this passage when I, earlier this summer. In verse uh, 4 and 5 of chapter 2, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. 
Now again, as Peter, as we've mentioned several times, his particular commission was to the, to the Jewish world. As Paul says in Galatians, I was sent to the Gentiles and Peter was sent to the Jews. In that Jewish world, there were Gentiles. In that Gentile world, there were Jews. Paul always went to the synagogue first. But this, the flavor and the background of his, this, this Jewish world, they would clearly understand this. He writes to the dispersed Jews, the diaspora around the world, these Christian believing Jews. And he says, and he says, listen, we are being built into this temple. We are built into the house. We are stones that are being built up into the household of God. And I think we want to connect that with chapter 4 where he says, it, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. It's this, it's this structure, if you will, this, this, this component, the, the, the family of God, believers in Jesus Christ, Christians ones who have placed their faith in Christ and received forgiveness for sins because they have put their faith in Christ as their Savior. He says, judgment will begin with us. Now, what does that mean? Because we believe that, that as Paul preached and Peter preached too, that you, your sins are forgiven. Are they forgiven or are they not forgiven? Are our sins forgiven? Does judgment begin with us that we're going to be judged whether we did enough good or did bad that we're not going to be accepted? Was that the message? How does judgment begin with the household of God? I want to suggest you a couple things to think about here. As Gary told us last week, that when Peter talks about these last days, I want to remind you that from the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even through this dispensation of the church, the body of Christ, these are the last days. This is the last era because this is, this is the last thing that's going to happen before God's judgment is unveiled during the terrible time of the tribulation before the, the Messiah returns. And even though it's been 2,000 years, as Gary reminded us last week, but Peter says in his second epistle, don't forget, don't forget that to the God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years as if it's a day. God is not bound by time. And so this, these are the last days. This is the time where judgment has begun because there are, the judgment is who is re receiving this message of faith and who is rejecting it. The word judgment here does not... I mean, think of a judge. A, a, you know, a judge can make a judgment of guilty conviction. He can also make the judgment of, 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 you know, on the positive side, that you're not guilty, you're acquitted. And the word here can simply mean to judge. And I want to suggest to you, when, when Peter says that judgment has already begun with the household of God, what God is doing is beginning to separate and beginning to identify, to, to, to note, to judge those who genuinely have faith in him. Now, there are those within the Christian household throughout history who are false believers. We have false teachers that, that Paul talks about in his epistle to Timothy. And we also see it in the general epistles as well. There were false teachers. There were false pastors, false leaders. And that's been throughout the history who claim to be Christians, but they are, they are not. They do not know Christ. And it's during these times of, of, of persecution that often winnows out, as the Bible uses that word, separates out those who really are believers and those who are not. And the time of judgment has begun for God to declare who truly has faith in Christ. This, I don't think this is a matter of judging for sins as to a works-based salvation, but judgment has begun in the household of God during these last days, these last times. It has begun, friends. The simple fact that there are those 
who stand up and say, yes, in spite of the difficulty and in spite of challenges, yes, I, I am a Christian. I have put my faith in Christ. I am saved based on the, on the forgiveness of God because of his grace and mercy. And there are those who maybe said, yes, I think that's right, but when the, when the time's good, no, I'm not, I'm not part of that. That's not worth that. And we find out. So judgment has begun at the household of God. This idea of, this idea clearly from the Old Testament, Zechariah 13, the Lord Jesus Christ and on the Olivet Discourse, this idea that there will be those who, will, in, the, in, this, in this Jewish background, Zechariah talks about a third that will pass through the refiner's fire. And, I, and God says, I will bring them into the land. They will bear my name. They, they will have faith in me. And we'll see this during the time of tribulation where, where, the, where those believers will be intensely, physically persecuted. And God will bring them through the fire, if it will, the fire of refining. That's the idea here. It's, it's begun with the household of God. But then what he says here, if this is true, what will be the outcome? Verse 17. What will be the outcome? For those who do not obey the gospel of God. Gospel, good news. What will be the outcome? Now listen, <clears throat> this is part of the Christian message. This is a big part of the biblical message of judgment, that there will be an accounting. We preach and teach, as we sang this morning, Jesus loves the little children we love God. God loves us. We, every, every Sunday, I try to remind you before you leave how much God loves you. And I don't want anybody to leave this place without knowing that God loves you. He loves you. That's why his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, went to the cross and suffered that humiliation for me because he chose to love me. Our God is also a just and a holy God. If he were not, there would be no justice in this universe. And because he is just and holy, he will need to judge sin. And, he said, and, and, and Peter says here, if, if judgment has begun with the household of God, and we're beginning to see that, that, that what God is doing and saving people who have come in faith, what about those who willfully chose to disobey and reject the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for your sins and offers you salvation? What will their end be? Listen, judgment is part of the Bible message. I know it's not popular. I know it's not one that I always like to be preached about. I don't necessarily enjoy preaching about it. It's, but that's, this is God's word. There is heaven and there is hell. There is eternal life and there is eternal death. There is salvation and there is lostness because of the choices, the, the choice you have. And you might be sitting here today. And I'm, I'm telling you, the same gospel that Peter preaches, you know, the Philippian jailer with the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says simply, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I tell you the message. I don't want you to leave here today and say, well, no one ever told me. I'm telling you right now. That empty cross behind me is a reminder that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. He came to earth. He lived a life without sin he went to the cross. He suffered terribly, the worst horrible death you can imagine. But he suffered the punishment of God. It says it pleased God to crush him twice in Isaiah 53, to crush his soul as he poured out his, God poured out his anger and his judgment on all the crud and the, you've been reading the news this week? You've been reading the news this week? Do you know what's going on in the world? 
people beheaded. An interesting conversation with um, Claude McCoy at breakfast the other day, and he made the comment how he used to read in Revelation this idea of, and you see this in Revelation at the end, that the souls of those who had been beheaded for Christ during the tribulation, it used to kind of seem so fanciful, right? People read Revelation and for years have said, well, that, that can't be, that can't literally going to happen. Who does that anymore? Huh? Who does that anymore? It says, those who refuse to take the mark of the beast during the tribulation that were beheaded for Christ. All those horrible things that go on in our world, go on in our own community, and, and some of you see the, 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 these horrible things in, in your own life, these terrible things. God, Christ died to pay for that sin. He paid for my sin. He paid for all these sins. And he offers you salvation if you will receive his payment and forgiveness for your sins. That's the gospel message. If you choose to reject that, if you choose to reject God's love and God's offer to forgive your sins and give you eternal life and a new life in him, yes, you will face the judgment of God. And it is eternal. And that's not my words. Listen, if you, if you don't think that that's part of the story... Go home and read Revelation. It's either there or it isn't there. Peter goes on to say this. Verse 18. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What does he mean hard? Well, listen, it was hard because Christ had to go to the cross of Calvary and die. And it doesn't make sense to anybody. It's very hard to grasp that. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in you and opening your heart, which he may be doing this morning, it's, it's how do you grasp it? How could you believe that? Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Wide is the way that leads to destruction, and most people are going to go that way. It's hard. But when God is at work, and God is more powerful than death, and your heart is open, listen and respond. Receive Christ as your Savior. Then finally, verse 19. So then, we're going to wrap up the suffering, okay? So then, here's the conclusion. Those who suffer according to God's will, number one, should commit themselves to their faithful creator. What did the Lord Jesus Christ say when he was on the cross at Calvary and as he breathed his last breath after that horrible suffering for my sin, for your sin? What did he say? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. He committed himself to God. If you suffer, if you are going through any suffering today, if you are going through any persecution for the name of Christ, and please don't sit here and think, well, <clears throat> that's, you know, mine's not. If, if it's real to you, it's real to God. If you are, if we will, we are told two things. Commit yourselves to a faithful God. God is faithful. God is faithful. God knows how to take care of what belongs to him. Amen? God knows how to do that. Commit yourself to God and continue to what? What does it say? Do good. This can, again connects this is what Gary preached last week. I'm bringing today. It's kind of a two part message. It folds together. This idea 
And if you are suffering, retaliate. Make sure they suffer. Make sure. He says what? Our retaliation, if you will, our response is to continue to be a Christian. Continue to do good. And if you suffer for doing good, then you have to leave that in, in God's hands. He is faithful. You know, <clears throat> not everybody was dramatically saved. Not everybody like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into that fire and the fire burned around them and they came out unscathed. The writer of Hebrews tells us there were those who were sawn in half, those who were killed in, in the worst ways, those who you don't know, we don't know their names and we have no idea who they are, who they were, and they were destroyed. I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king. I just love that story from Daniel. When they were about to go into that fire that was so hot it was killing people that were even near the furnace, remember what they said? King, we want you to know that when we go in that fire, our God is able to save us. But if he chooses not to, we want you to know we would never have worshipped your idol anyway. Just know that. That's what they said. They did not say, well, listen, we're going to win that fire and God is obligated to save us. No, he is not. He's not. But we just want you to know, if he chooses to let us burn up painfully and, and, and horribly in that fire, we just want you to know, we still, wouldn't, we still wouldn't have worshipped you. Friends, that's faith. That's faith in God. Commit yourself to God to do good. As I close today, I would like you to, I just think, I want us to take something home today. Our teaching must include the truth of the coming judgment on the world. Read Revelation. Uh, it's, it's not as complicated as you, it, it is some difficult reading, but there's a, big, there's, a big, there's a big message in Revelation. God wins and Satan loses. That's the message of Revelation. If you keep that in mind, the people who, people who received that epistle, they were suffering. They were being persecuted. They weren't necessarily theologians and scholars and academia. They were just people like, like us. And they got this message, hang on, God's going to win. But here's what's going to happen. Read it. It's a part of the Bible. We are living in the last days. It doesn't matter if it's been 2,000 years. It doesn't matter if it will be 4,000 years. To God, that's four days. We are in the last days. We are in the last phase of God's salvation plan before the coming kingdom. It begins with the household of God. It extends to the world. We are in those days. How then shall we live? Remember that book? How then? Some of you are old enough to remember that, Francis Haver. How then shall we live? Listen, friends, today, I just think as we go home today, I want you, I, we just should remember this at least. It's a little disconnected from my life and your life today. But the Christian church around the world in many places, is under intense persecution. Intense persecution. You know, we, 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 think, of the, we think of the early scenes in the, in, the, in the Colosseums and the arenas of Christians being brutally killed. These are just a few pictures from around the world today. Homes being burnt and destroyed in India because they're Christians. Believers in Nigeria slaughtered because they are Christians. 
right now, you, you, if, if you've had any connection with the news at all, you probably know a little bit what's going on in Iraq. All over the Middle East, everywhere. It's happening in Asia, in Europe, in Africa, in our hemisphere. We have brothers and sisters who are being intensely persecuted today. We are a family. Listen, if your family member, if your brother or sister or mom or dad today were being tortured and persecuted, would you care? Would you care? They are, they are being persecuted. They are part of our family. We may not agree on every doctrine. We may come from quite different traditions, but if they receive Christ as Savior, if they claim the name and, tr and are true Christians, we are family, friends. And the least we can do in our relatively secure, comfortable environment, the least we can do is try to be aware so we can pray for them. What do we pray for them? What, you know, Christians, coffins lined up, martyred, just because they're Christians. Just because they're Christians. What can we do for them? We can pray for them. And if we want to pray with some intelligence, we should at least open our eyes and have some awareness of what's going on in our world. We should pray for them. And what should we pray for them? We should pray that they will commit their lives to a faithful God. And we should pray, as Peter suggests, they will continue to do good. Yes, we should pray for their safety. We should pray that they can enjoy the freedoms we can enjoy. But we should also pray that the name of Christ will be lifted up and maybe even some of those persecutors would come to faith in Christ from what they see. You know, it's interesting. Even this past week, I believe it was this past week in the New York Times, Ronald Ladar, Lauder, who is the uh, head of the World Jewish Congress, he's a Jew. And he, he wrote this. This is parts of it. The Middle East and parts of Central Africa are losing entire Christian communities that have lived in peace for centuries. And this is true. Centuries. Terrorist groups, Boko Haram, have kidnapped and killed hundreds of Christians this year, ravaging the predominantly Christian area of Gwaza in Borno State in Nigeria. Half a million Christian Arabs have been driven out of Syria in the last three years of civil war. Christians have been persecuted and killed in countries from Lebanon to Sudan. This is from the head of the World Jewish Congress. Historians may look back at this period and wonder if people had lost their bearings. Few reporters have traveled to Iraq to bear witness to the Nazi-like wave of terror that is rolling across that country. United Nations has been mum. World leaders seem to be consumed with other matters in this strange summer of 2014. There are no flotillas traveling to Syria or Iraq. The beautiful celebrities and aging rock stars, why doesn't the slaughter of Christians seem to activate their social antennas? ISIS is truly excels in its carnage, rivaling the death orgies of the Middle Ages. They actually beheaded children, put their heads on a stick, a Chaldean-American businessman quoted as saying. This mass execution of Christians, this deadly preoccupation with Israel, isn't just wrong, it's obscene. 
In a speech before thousands of Christians in Budapest in June, I made a solemn promise that just as I will not be silent in the face of the growing threat of anti-Semitism in Europe and the Middle East, I will not be indifferent to Christian suffering. Historically, it has almost always been the other way, other way around. The bond between Jew and Christian makes complete sense. We share much more than most religions. We read the same Bible, share a moral and ethical core. Now, sadly, we share a kind of suffering. Christians are dying because of their belief, because they are defenseless, and because the world is indifferent to their suffering. Good people must join together and stop this revolting wave of violence. It's not as if we are powerless. I write this as a citizen of the strongest military power on the earth. I write this as a Jewish leader who cares about my Christian brothers and sisters. <laughs> Shouldn't we at least be aware? Listen, if God puts it on your heart to, to pray, to write, to somehow support, these are our brothers and sisters. And it is intense, friends. And it is wild. And they are being slaughtered and persecuted for the simple faith in Christ as Savior. They are our brothers and sisters. And this is what I think this passage, one of the things that speaks to me and, and reminds me today. Um, do I care? Do I care? Will I pray? Will I support? Will I encourage? Will we truly be a family of God that bears the name of Jesus Christ, that commits to a faithful God, prays to him, and continues to do good? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for challenging my heart and reminding me, Lord, of our selfishness. We can become so preoccupied with a slight thing may be taken from us when brothers and sisters around the world are losing everything. But I pray most of all that in the midst of this, your name will be lifted up. People will find courage in your word and that even the persecutors will see the love of Jesus Christ in the hearts of the persecuted and your Holy Spirit would draw them to faith and eternal life and forgiveness for sins. In Christ's name, amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Enjoy the abundant life this week. Enjoy your life when you walk with God. Worship him, love him, walk with him, trust in him, put your faith in him. God does love you. God knows how to take care of what belongs to him. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you again for each person that's come today encourage one another to fellowship and to share in the worship. We have come to worship you for you alone are worthy of our worship. We love you, God. We don't always act that way. We know it and I know it. But we do love you. And we do thank you this day for your amazing love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.